I think the best way to introduce Maharaj is to say that he's a perfect gentleman. And in Vaishnava oh. theology, we say uh, uh, in advanced Vaishnava, he's a perfect gentleman. Uh, he's a teacher or an initiating spiritual master in the, our ISKCON society. Uh, and he particularly focuses on the youth. And he's known for uh, supporting the youth. And also he ran a school for boys for 10 years in Florida. And he continues to mentor the youth. In fact, the Mayapuris, two of them are his students. And um, he also spends a lot of time now uh, teaching in um, uh, China and then, of course, um, in the US. Um, and of course, he's, a, he's a, uh, a disciple of Srila Prabhupada. And like I said, he also takes students or is an initiating spiritual master. And he is particularly very close to our Houston and Dallas community since he was a very close um, friend of our spiritual master, Tamil Krishna Maharaj. And he helped him very much uh, during his illness. And that's uh, when we got to know him and became very much indebted to him after we had that association. So um, please help us in um, welcoming Maharaj again. Thank you. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. I have some, I had some ideas, but the purports are so long. Are we doing Q&A or are we doing talk? What's the system? I don't remember. Because um, sometimes it says Q&A and sometimes it says discourse. Mm. Um, yeah, but we can have a Q&A um, after, um, after your talk. Oh, you wanted me to speak a little bit. Okay, just pick a person. Um, Sometimes we just do Q and A, and sometimes we do it. Sometimes we do something more. I got so many places. Breath restraint. Okay, I have an idea. Whoa! Every idea I have has got a two-page purport. <laughs> <laughs> Let me think. What? Okay, I know one. I like. I know one that's really easy to. This one's a very interesting verse. I've given class on this in, the, in Houston before. The 28th verse of the, of the, um, of the third chapter. Um, and the commentary is not that long, but very powerful. So it's pretty good. Um, I'm sure some of you that are, have heard me give class before have heard me speak on this 28th verse. It's, um, it's right after the famous verse, Prakriti Kriyamana Niguna Karmana Sarvashahara. That the spirit is so bewildered by the influence of by the influence of false ego, thinks themselves think think ourselves to be the doer of activities, which are in actuality just carried out by the modes of material nature. And so the next verse is is that one who is in knowledge, not the bewildered one. The other one was the bewildered soul. This one there is the one that's in knowledge of the absolute truth of mighty arm does not engage themselves in the senses and sense gratification because they know the difference between work and devotion and work for fruit of activities. But to take into consideration that this chapter is entitled Karma Yoga and it's enticing us to begin the process of bhakti by doing our actions, our karma, karma meaning again I learned, learned from uh, Rita Nanamars, who's a Sanskrit scholar that it comes from the root word kriyate, which means to do or to act. And so everything that we do, every action we make, um, has a particular reaction. 
And so, prakriti kriyamanani, kriyamanani, being done. So anything that was that is being done when we're uh, under the influence of false ego, we take credit for it. Um, maybe not the in, maybe not the bad things, but the good things we definitely take credit for. Sometimes if something is out of place or there's a mistake or something, uh, we'll say not me. You know, it, it was it was well diverted off to somebody else or something else. And so this this chapter is on karma yoga, and so. Krishna goes through and describes everything that work, you know, because Arjuna is a little bewildered because he asks Krishna, he says that you want to engage me in this war, but if you think intelligence, he can't understand because because if you think intelligence is better than fruit of work, why why am I not using my intelligence? Why am I why am I engaging this? So he says his intelligence is bewildered because of these. Two, two things, um, utilizing our intelligence and just um, engaging in fruitive activities. Um, because the war would be considered action. And he's thinking that if he goes to the forest, he's using his, his intelligence. You know, this, I, can, I, can avoid, I can avoid this. Um, and so Krishna tells Arjuna, it's not simply by renouncing things or abstaining from work that we can achieve freedom from reaction. Um, everything, I mean, even the blinking of our eyes. You know, one time I had, a, you know, Guru Bhakti said I taught school. I, I was the, the dorm teacher, wasn't the academic teacher. Once in a while I had to do the academic, so I would get video. So one time I got a video called Invisible World. Uh, I think it's like, National Jeep, no, what is it? It's like one of those, um, whatever it is, I can't remember, 3M or what, just one of those companies. And it showed all the little things that you can't, the invisible world, the things that you can see through a microscope. Like the, there's like these little worms on your eye, eyelids and so uh, there are little squiggly things. There's so every time you blink, you squish some of those guys. And so if you, even if you renounce everything, still there's gonna be a little bit of there's going to be some reactions because you can't stop blinking your eyes, you can't stop breathing and all those kind of things. And so um, Krishna tells Arjuna that actually every living entity is actually forced to act according to the modes of nature they have acquired and no one can refrain from doing something for a moment. And in that purport, Shiddha Prabhupada explains that the um, it's not a question of being embodied and having this body and having action, being, being active in this body, but it's the actual principle of the spirit soul to be always active. Um, it's, I've often given the example so many times that, I mean, when you can't, I can't take the phone out of my, the battery out of my phone anymore because it's a new kind of phone, but we used to be able to take the battery out. So you take the battery out and the, and the object doesn't work. So in the same way, you take the soul out of the body. If the soul is not in the body, the body can't work. So it's not a matter of being just having a body. It's a matter of the soul being within the body that makes the body active. And, and, the, and, he, and Krishna criticized um, Arjuna's idea by saying that, that people who um, try to restrain the senses, but when the mind 
dwells on the sense objects, uh, even they're considered to be pretenders. And, and, and Prabhupada explains that in the commentary that it's better to be on a sweeper in the street than a charlatan meditator. I live with, uh, what is it? He used the word, I had to look it up one time, my privilege, lavish living on the, uh, on the expense of others. But to just be an honest sweeper in the street, someone engaging his act, act, actions in yoga, connection to, to the Supreme, avoids the reaction that comes to those. And then he explains that work has to be done for him. And he just goes through a whole, a whole series of how the material universe um, interacts, the, how the modes of material nature interact with the devotees and how even our food stuff and everything is coming in from the Supreme Lord. And that if we can, we can honor the fact that we are dependent on the Supreme Lord and dedicate everything to the Supreme Lord, we can actually become free from the reaction, reactionary um, effects of our actions, which is get, we, can, we can free ourselves from the reactionary um, effects of our actions if we dedicate them to the Supreme Lord. So the previous verse is one who's bewildered. He, they think that they're actually doing something, but the modes of nature are just pushing them. Just like, for example, I've given the example a million times, you go to the car dealer and you want to buy a car. Say you have the facility to buy a new car, so then you can choose what color it's going to be. Blue, yellow, green, red, I don't know, whatever colors there are, gray, white. And we think we're choosing that color, but our mode of nature that we're, that's composing this material body makes us think that we want that blue car, the red car, the green car, the yellow car. And then we think that we're choosing, but we're not really choosing. We did, there's, a, there's a hidden force behind it. There's a hidden force behind that choice, which is the modes of material nature. So once one comes to the point of understanding the modes of nature and how one is being pushed by the modes of material nature and how its position in this world is a little awkward, then they can begin the process of uh, dovetailing their actions in Krishna consciousness and not being um, subjected to the impulses of the modes of nature. Because previously Krishna told Arjuna to rise above the modes of material nature, be transcendental to all the modes, goodness, passion, and ignorance. Even goodness, we have to transcend and put it into a sense of pure goodness, which will allow us to engage in the, the real, actual devotional service to the Lord. And so we want to have that type of consciousness in order to do this. So I'll read this 28th verse. That was just a little introduction to get you to the 28th verse. And because um, it's a really interesting chapter. And I mean, there's, there's about four or five sections, if I remember, to this chapter, divisions in this chapter. And um, famous question by Arjuna, by what is one impelled to sinful activities? As if in being engaged by force, something else is making you do the sin. And so he's trying to find a loophole of how he, you know, it's not me, Krishna, somebody else is making me do this. And then Krishna tells him, no, it's your desire in the heart that is latent, um, that is a perverted form of, of, my, of love for me. Now it's been tainted by the material energy. And so you're trying to find pleasure in the material world, which is not possible. So I'll read this, I'll just read the English. Um, I could read the Sanskrit. Tattavittu Mahabaho Guna Karma Vivaga Yo 
punagunesh vartanta itimatva nasanjate, sajjate. One who is in knowledge of the absolute truth, Almighty Arm, does not engage himself in the senses and sense gratification, knowing well the difference between work and devotion and work for fruitive results. So there's a, a, a small commentary, you know, just one, one medium-sized paragraph, or purport, we call it. The knower of the absolute truth is convinced of his awkward position in the material association. Like my business card says, um, our very existence right now is in an atmosphere of non-existence. We're not meant to be forced, we're not meant to be subjected to non-existence because our existence is eternal. And so one, as the Prophet is saying here, the knower of the absolute truth is convinced of his awkward position in material association. Because everything that's material is temporary. Nasato vijate bhavo, na bhavo vijate That which is material is temporary, and that which is spiritual is eternal. In the second chapter, Krishna explains that the soul can't be killed by any weapon, can't be cut, can't be burned, can't be dried, can't be drowned. I mean, this goes through all the different types of ways that um, the body can be affected. And he says, none of them can affect the soul. None of them can affect the soul. So the knower of the absolute truth is convinced, convinced of his awkward position in material association. He knows that he is part and parcel of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Krishna, and that his position should not be in material creation. Basically, my, my business. He knows his real identity as part and parcel of the Supreme, who is eternal bliss and knowledge. And he realizes that somehow or other, he is entrapped in the material conception of life. In his pure state of existence, he is meant to dovetail his activities in devotional service to the Supreme Lord Krishna. He therefore engages himself in activities of Krishna consciousness and becomes naturally unattached to the activities of the material senses, which are all circumstantial and temporary. He knows that his material condition of life is under the supreme control of the Lord. The Lord controls the material nature, controls the modes of material nature, so that person in knowledge knows that the Lord is behind this. So consequently, he is not disturbed by all kinds of material reactions or difficulties, um, which he considers to be the mercy of the Lord. And it's quite an interesting thing to understand that someone can come to the point where something which would normally be considered a reaction, which seems to be have a negative connotation, um, like you, you swing the hammer and you hit your finger, that's the reaction. And so, but to consider that to be fruitful and have gratitude to the Lord for that experience. And that is because a person begins to understand that he's in the wrong place. I'm, I'm not meant to be in a place where I'm subjected to the threefold miseries. Threefold misery, adiatmic, adibotic, and adidaivik. Adiatmic means the miseries of my own body and mind. Adiatmic, adiatmic, my own body and mind. My body is, you know, 60, almost 68 now, it's starting to dwindle, <laughs> and, um, and slowly it goes down. Um, the mind, what to speak of the mind. Everybody, everybody has um, plenty of experience with the mind. And then there's Adibotic, 
the the um, miseries of glacia, miseries or difficulties or challenges that are there from other people's bodies and minds. And then there's Adidaivika, Daivik meaning like the demigods, the devas, who are in charge of different things like, like light and water and heat and cold and different things like this, and like nature, like Prakriti, nature. And so that would be things like earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes. There's different, there's different challenges or different circumstances that we find ourselves in for our own body and mind, other people's bodies and mind, and the, 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 what would you say, the effects of material nature. And so we know these things. So according to Srimad Bhagavan, one who knows the absolute truth in three features, Brahman, the impersonal effulgence of the Supreme Lord, Paramatma, the Lord situated in the heart, and uh, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Krishna, is called Tattvavid, or the knower of knower, Tattva meaning truth and the knower meaning a bit meaning knower, for he is a knower of his own factual position in relation to the Supreme. The factual position was given in the beginning of this commentary that we are all eternal parts and parcels. We know that he is part and parcel of the Supreme Lord Krishna, and that we should not his position should not be in the material energy. Um, that is stated that. Um, the living entity is the eternal part, part and parcel of the Supreme Lord. Aimai Bangso Jiva Loka Jiva Bhuta Sanatana, that we're Sanatana, we're eternal parts and parcels of Krishna, but we're the separated energy of Krishna, and we're the marginal energy of the Supreme Lord. The Lord has three basic energies the internal potency, which governs the spiritual world, the external potency, which governs the material world, and the marginal potency, which is the living entity. And are the individual soul, and the individual soul is called marginal because sometimes he's under the um, influence of the internal energy, Krishna. Supposed to do something in seven. So we're under the influence of the material energy, and so, or we're under the influence of the internal energy of the Lord, or we're under the influence of the external energy of the Lord. So we're called marginal. And so, um, as Prasiddha Prophet says here, he knows his position should not be in the material creation. As I was explaining before, uh, like my business card says, we're in an atmosphere, our, our very existence is in the atmosphere of non-existence. So we know our real position is part and parcel of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And because the Supreme Personality of God is this eternal, full of knowledge and full of happiness, that's our actual position also. But now we're placed in a position of temporary existence. Um, our knowledge is so limited. I mean, it's very, very, very limited. And our happiness is at best temporary. If, you know, the happiness is actually an illusory thing. Um, we think it's happiness, but that kind of happiness, we did this verse the other day for two weeks ago for an in in Houston. That those who are a little, those who are in knowledge, they don't take part in the sources of misery, which are the senses coming in contact with the material sense objects because they know they have a beginning and an end. And so, because that certain sense pleasure that we experience on the material level 
if we experience something that is, may say, maybe pleasurable, eating something or doing something, whatever it may be, then we become attached to that thing. And that attachment to anything on the material level binds us in the material world. It, bind, it binds the living entity in the material energy. And once you are bound in the material energy, one who has taken birth, death is certain for one who has died, birth is certain. And so we undergo this cycle of repeated birth and death, the samsara, the repetition of repeated birth and death within this material world. So one who is a little intelligent, he knows that if I become attached to the object of the senses, then I'm going to end up having to take birth again in this material world. And so that, that object of the sense becomes a source of misery for me because he sees the long-term. Uh, you see the long-term effect of our actions when they're, when they're done on the material level rather than on a spiritual level. Um, Srila Prophet says that, <clears throat> in, in other words, he realized that somehow or another he's become entrapped in the material conception of life. It's a conception. Reality is something different. That is, the spiritual reality is there. But we have so many types of material conceptions. And one of the things that, that Srila Prabhupada says here, I want to just get that because I don't want to miss that because I always, um, <coughs> that he, um, uh, therefore he engages himself in the activities of Krishna consciousness and therefore becomes naturally unattached to the activities of the material senses, which are all circumstantial and temporary. In other words, we find ourselves in different circumstances in this material world. 8,400,000 different species of life, and within each and every one of those species of life, there's so much variety. You take a look across the 15, 20 people that are present here, we'll find so many different differentiate, differentiation, different types of people, I'm trying to say a word, and um, we're not all the same. We all, you know, some of us may like pizza, some of us may like kitchery, some of us may like, you know, or individual, the individual type of taste, the type of the thing that we like to hear, the things we like to see, which are governed by the modes of nature again. It's, you know, we're being forced to, we're being forced to do this. We're thinking that we like country western music because material modes of nature in our body tell us that we like country western music or classical music or rock and roll music or whatever type of music it may be. But, we think that we're choosing that, but we're not. And so the nice thing about this is that we find ourselves it's, um, circumstantial, and every one of them is temporary. This is, this is the thing about the material world. We have to be convinced that we're, if, all we have to do is just take a look. I remember being a little boy. I don't remember a lot about it. I just remember some things. I know I was a little kid at one time. I have some pictures. My sister has some pictures. Um, and so, but I rem I'm still the same person now. I'm still the same person I was like 60 years ago when I was eight years old. I'm still the same person, but that body's completely gone. And so that particular existence when I was eight years old, is just a temporary flash in, 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 the, in the sojourn of, my, of this soul that's inhabiting my body. It's just a little flash. Even Lord Brahma, Prabhupada did in the eighth chapter, I think it is, where it says um, Sahasta Yuga, that, that Lord Brahma lives for so many Yuga cycles. 
and probably did the math, and it turns out that Lorbama lives 311 trillion, 40 billion years according to the Earth, according to our, just like here, we live maybe 100 years max. But we see other living entities that take birth in the evening, and by morning, their whole lifespan is gone. For them, it's a whole life. They take birth, they, they go through their childhood, they go through their adolescence. I heard something about adolescence today. Um, maybe, I'll re maybe I'll tell you that joke later on about teenagers. Um, uh, they, they find a mate, they have children, they raise their children, and then they die within, you know, from, from, from uh, dust to dawn. Dust to dawn, that's 100 years for them. And so, on, on the, like in the case of, of Brahma, his 100 years is 311 trillion, four, 311 trillion, 400 billion of our years. And it's described in the scripture, and even he said, it's like a, a flash of lightning in eternity. 311 trillion, 40 billion years is like a, like a little flash of lightning in eternity. And so we have to become aware of that situation or our situation in this material environment to understand that it's all circumstantial. Each and every one of the circumstances we find ourselves in, and each and every one of those in the material energy is, is temporary. But the nice thing about this, that the sentence that I said, you know, in our periodic activities, we are meant to dovetail our actions in the service of the Supreme Lord. He therefore engaged himself in activities of Krishna consciousness and naturally unattached to the activities of the material senses. They naturally become detached. We become naturally detached by engaging our senses in, in the activities of Krishna consciousness. Even the sense objects that we see, we utilize those in the service of Krishna. It's very, very nice to do, you know, nice to see. Like one time, Shri Prabhupada was, I've told this story a million times. He was in a San Francisco Stoke Park. He's on a walk. And somebody asked him, Prabhupada, what's the vision of a pure devotee? This is like 1968. And so they wanted to know, is a pure devotee, is he like seeing Krishna and the cowherd girls or Krishna and the gopis? Or is, is he seeing like a kaleidoscope of super souls? My page just changed. A kaleidoscope of super souls. Or what, what is the actual vision? What is the actual vision of a pure devotee? And Prabhupada just, just like, you know, Cut to the chase, as they say, and said, no, 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 it's not like that. And I gave this example to you before. Like, if I take my glass, I'm at your house, this, this in your Zoom house, and I leave my glasses on your Zoom computer, and I walk away, you'll say, Mars, you left your glasses. No, this pair of glasses, it's just a material object. But because it's being utilized by me, you identify me with this object. And you'll say, you forgot your glasses. And so in the same way, what happens when one understands a Krishna, that Krishna is the owner and controller of everything in the material world. He is the owner of everything. Then whatever we see, we'll see the owner present, be it a tree, an animal, another human being, anything. Everything in the material world is only controlled by Krishna. And so we'll see Krishna present in as much as you'll if I walk out of your house and leave my glasses on the, on the table, even though it's just a pair of glasses, you'll identify it with the person that owns them temporarily, of course. And so the idea is, is that when we get this kind of vision, when we get this kind of vision, then we can become detached. 
that the living entity, when we say living entity, we basically mean the human life. When we in the human form of life, we, we take ourselves away from the sense objects, but a taste for that sense objects may remain. But if we can just cease that sensual play, that material sensual activity, and begin the process of utilizing our senses and, this, and anything in the material world in the service of Krishna, then padam drishtva nivartante, a higher taste will come about. One will get a higher taste and the lower tastes go away. I've given this example a million times. Sorry for those who have heard my example. But when I was a little kid, I had a tricycle. I'd go around the house, man, it'd be 100 miles an hour. Of course, in North Dakota, you can only go on your trike in the house in the winter because it's too cold outside. Uh, Renika can appreciate that. She lives in northern Canada. <laughs> so I'd run around on my tricycle in the, in the house, and then later on, I got a bicycle. And if I misbehaved when I was a little boy and I had the tricycle, my mother said, okay, now you can't use your trike for an hour. I'd be really, really upset. Then when I got a bicycle, if my mother said, oh, you've been, you've misbehaved, even though I have a bicycle, she said, I'm going to take away your tricycle. I'm going to say, Dude, go, I mean, dude, mom, go ahead, you know, because I have something higher. I have my bicycle. I'm not attached to that tricycle anymore. So there's a higher taste. So once one engages their senses in the obvious of senses in the service of the Supreme Lord, they get a, they get a better feel. They get a better experience. And therefore, the, the tendency to engage in the senses, in the, in the object of the senses for one's material pleasure reduces, as Shiva Prabhupada said here, naturally, becomes naturally unattached to the activities. It's not a forced thing, like the, like the impersonalists, they want you to just take everything away. You can't have any, you can't have any fun. But in Krishna consciousness, we can have like tons and tons of fun. Of course, now we have to be in COVID, so we can't be together dancing, but we could all just have a kirtan here on the thing, and we could all just go dancing across the screen, have some fun together. And devotees, they have the best philosophy, they have the best food styles, they have, you know, most of the time the nicest association. <laughs> and so just, it just goes like that. So Krishna consciousness actually becomes, uh, we, get a, we actually get a higher taste from that. So that was about 35 minutes. Wait a second here, now I started at 7. We did, yeah, like 35 minutes, yeah. So I wanted to, I think it's supposed to end at 8, so I wanted to leave 15 minutes for comments and questions. Is that okay, Winston or Grubakti? I don't even know who's supposed to do this. Mm -hmm. Yes, that'd be great. Thank you, Maharaj. Are they going to type the questions into chat? Or are they going to click their, click their, whatever they call that, mute thing? Um, you know, if... Uh, if anyone has a question, please feel free to uh, to hop right in. Um, you know, unmute yourself and uh, and go for it. And if you want to be anonymous, you can just send it in the chat, and Winston will read it out loud. That's it. Uh, right, Winston? <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> Thanks, Maharaj. Hi, Krishna Maharaj. This is Hi, Krishna. Uh, I hope you're not Mar driving. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> I saw you in the car before. I, I, I started to, and then, uh, but I, I was, I'm at my destination. I'm in my house. I'll, I'll turn on the camera. 
No, that's okay. I do. I trust you. <laughs> and I can see Darnie Martin. in front. Yeah, maybe too. <laughs> March, uh a couple of classes back uh, about this, and then today you, you talked about karma yoga. And I was wondering, you, you'd mentioned, uh, you know, collective karma in, in reference to COVID and, uh, you know, some of the things that we're, we're going through right now. I was hoping or wondering if you could kind of expand on, on that a little bit and what you meant by that. Yeah. Uh, Nitya, who's Nitya? Okay. Nitya has a question because your microphone, Jenya, Jenya? No, no. Oh, okay. Uh -oh. Yeah, is, is something's happening in the house? Okay, uh, you were unmuted, okay. Um, collective karma is part of, it's, it, it, it's to put it simply, um, everything that's happening around us, like say COVID or whatever it may be, um, economic conditions, physical conditions, ability to be in a particular place for education. Just like, for example, we're born in America, so um, we have a particular educational system or health system or like this. And so that's part of our collective karma to be allowed to be in that environment. And things like COVID, it's like a collective karma or the planet. Everybody that everybody has has a particular type of reaction coming that participates in these these um, events, I guess we could call them. And to what whatever extent one is affected by these events or by these circumstances, to the level that one is, what would you say? Fortunate, fortunate enough to receive the mercy of Krishna, as Prabhupada explained it in that commentary there. That in the commentary that he sees that sees every every action as the mercy of the Lord, and therefore doesn't doesn't put doesn't put blame on the Supreme Lord. He actually he actually takes ownership for his own actions, um, as seen is described here. He said, consequently, he is not disturbed by all kinds of material reactions, which he considers to be the mercy of the Lord. And so we can see um, some places are more affected, some places are less affected, some age groups are more affected, some um, people whose health is not, um, what would you say, their immune system isn't so strong or affected. You specifically mentioned the COVID, so I'm talking about that. And all these types of things are just collective. In other words, we're in this arena for a particular reason. And a lot of times we get caught up in why, 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 why. And we don't want to, I don't want to say we don't want to do that. It's okay to be curious. But it's just like, the, I've given this analogy many times. Somebody's on a, on a boat or a ship. If you call a ship a boat, you get in trouble. <laughs> you know anybody in the Navy and you say, what boat were you on? It was a ship. Um, you're on a ship and you fall off the ship and somebody throws you the life buoy, the life, the life donut, and um, 
they say grab grab the life grab the life jack grab the life thing saver and you say why am i why why was i on this boat and why wasn't i on a different boat why 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 was i subjected to the tossing of the sea and somebody else wasn't affected by the toss no just grab this just grab the just grab the thing that's going to save you why did i fall off the ship what side of the ship did i fall off did i slip or what, you know you're asked so many questions about why you're off the ship in the water and drowning rather than taking shelter of that which can release you from that suffering so that's the example that's given that we have fallen into the material world um it said that when that one's when one is in the spiritual world one has some desire we have free will and with that free will we have some desire to be separate from krishna and when we enter into the material world our natural loving propensity for krishna is transferred into desire for material sense gratification it's just like kind of goes you just you're kind of going in and you just kind of flip over from love of god to the word is comma thus i try to make it easy like tame it down a little bit and use the word desire for material sense gratification and so just in, the, in as much as we can't you know that the love that we experience in the spiritual world for krishna is an undumbuti but it is ever increasing and so our desires for material sense gratification are also ever increasing unless we learn how to utilize them in the service of Krishna, then we can just reverse it and bring it back up to Krishna. So that collective karma is just a circumstance. It's a simple circumstance that each and every person on the planet now has to be careful. Why? Because we did something in the past. Each one of us have done something, and now we're together. Thank you, Marge. Thank you, Brahma. Anybody else? Jenya uh, has a question. Okay. She asks, what is the spiritual benefit of spending time in an ashram? Oh. Well, there are four ashrams. And one is Brahmachari, Brahmachrini. One is Grihastha ashram. One is Vandapraste. Grihastha means married. Vandapraste means retired. Kind of like you go to the forest and just perform austerities. Of course, nowadays people don't really do that. Uh, and then sannyasa, renounced, and each one is called ashram. Ashram is a place of sacrifice. It's a place of purification. And so what is it like to experience life in the ashram? I am assuming that Jenya is asking in the men's or ladies ashram, where they're living as a celibate student and just doing 100% of their time is utilized in serving Krishna in the temple. Then there's Grihastha Ashram. And Srila Prabhupada mentioned, I think it was in a letter, to get it correct, but if, if, a, if a young man and a young woman want to get married, the young man, Srila Prabhupada said, must be, must, they must be able to work to pay for their existence, pay for their livelihood. And so one will have to undergo the sacrifice of having a job, maintaining a house, maintaining a husband, maintaining a wife, maintaining children. It's a sacrifice. And each ashram is meant for purification. They're meant to purify us. And so whatever ashram, ashram one is in, 
um, is, is okay. As long as one practices that ashram for the particular purpose or, or, or what would you say properly within that ashram. Brahmacharya and Brahmacharini, very strict separation between men and women. Um, Sannyas ashram the same, Vanapras ashram gradually detaches themselves from the um, from their household affairs. Um, Rahasta has a little license for associating together that way. Um, and so, but each and every one of them is meant for purification. So what is it like to be in um, the Brahmacharya Ashram? It depends on your nature. It can be hell or it can be heaven. What's it like to be in the Grahasan Ashram? It depends on your nature. It can be hell or it can be heaven. Or I mean, it could be mixed. <laughs> to be honest, it can actually be mixed. You have, you know, it's just like, you know, today is sunny. It could rain tomorrow. And so the weather's always changing, so the atmosphere is always changing in whatever ashram you are. Sometimes people think that if I just change my ashram, everything will be okay. No, all you get is you get a different type of sacrifice, a different type of austerity. And each and every one of those is, is uh, we should be very grateful for, that Krishna allows for us to, to choose between those ashrams so we kind of get to choose our, what would we, how would we politely say, we get to choose our austerity, I guess is the proper way to say it. We get to choose which austerity we want to undergo. And so what it's like, um, it depends on the nature, you know, I say, I had a pretty good time in the Brahmacharya Ashram. I was pretty blissful most of the time, of course, I'm just kind of like, I was born kind of happy. I wasn't born kind of happy, like crazy or something, but not crazy, crazy, but just crazy, happy kind of person, happy-go-lucky. And so Brahmacharya um, although it took a while to get it cleaned up and get things organized and stuff like that, um, men don't become adults until they're 40. <laughs> I've heard. <laughs> That's after 25, 15 plus years of marriage when the wife finally got him trained up and how to clean up after himself. <laughs> well, I'm getting in trouble, right? You're going to help me out of this <laughs> And so, um, you can see I have a lot of affection for Rainika. I mean, she's, she's a real warrior. She was, she's retired now up in Canada. So. Um, and so the idea is like the Brahmacharyasana and Brahmacharyasana are very, very you know, nice because you can just do service all day for Krishna. But if you learn the art of utilizing your occupation for Krishna, because in the 42nd verse of the Gita, Krishna starts to describe what is a Brahman, what is in the next verse, what is a Chatriya, what is a Vaishnava Sudra. But just like they're just, they just mean teachers or administrators or mercantile or helpers. And Krishna says in, in that section, he says that any one of these occupations, it doesn't matter which one it is, any one of these occupations, if it's done in, in service to me, one can achieve full, full liberation or full Krishna consciousness by that activity. It's just a matter of seeing it as your service to Krishna. In as much as if you're a Brahmachrini or a Brahmachari, 
you know, polishing the deities paraphernalia in the and sorry wrong with your microphone we have to end Kubanti you were cutting me out too no 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 okay and so and so so if you're in the Pajari room cleaning this the deity paraphernalia or putting things away um, or you're in the office and you're serving Krishna in the office I mean it, it, it it's it's a greater challenge it may be a greater challenge at one time I, I still have a friend that was in university and studying uh, studying medicine and they they called me one day and said Maharaj I wish I was just at the temple on the altar doing arctic for the deities I just just it's like too much here in the hospital too much residents in uh, you never get a break 36 hours on one minute off 36 hours on one minute off and go on and on and I said better that you're in the hospital wishing to be in the temple than being in the temple and wish you're outside because if you're inside wishing you were outside you're going to get in big big trouble but if you're in outside wishing you were inside you're not going to commit any sin or you're going to reduce your sinful propensities because that is an old song oh lord won't you buy me a mercedes benz my friends all night whatever i can't remember all the words so if you're on the altar just doing arctic to the deities and you you seem to be moving your head properly to the music but in your heart you're singing oh lord won't you give me a mercedes benz but the person that's in the office is saying oh Krishna, won't you get me out of this material world i've had enough you know i'm working like a donkey in here <laughs> and like the carrots in front of me but I, they never give me a bite they never give me one bite of that carrot i keep chasing that carrot krishna 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 help me help me so who's in a better position of course you can be in the pajaya room cleaning the cleaning the deities paraphernalia and say oh krishna your paraphernalia so one make me let me make this paraphernalia even nicer for you let me make this in the best condition it can possibly be and to serve you better it's mindset this is my old buddy T.D. Jake. You got to get your mind. You got to get your mind. You know, once you get your mind, T.G. Jake is one of these African American preachers that he got one of these big mega churches. His 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 what they call it, the altar part of the stage part is like twenty five yards long, and he just take. You got to get your mind, and he takes himself all the way across the whole stage and all the way across that, and he said, yeah. Don't miss your opportunities. Don't miss the opportunities that are in front of you. So, Jenya, that was a long answer to a very simple question. I'm sorry to. <laughs> I think I've seen you before on the on this on this on the camera there. But the experience is you know the experience is wonderful if you if you accept the wonderfulness of it. And it can be miserable. If you if you want to be miserable, you can be miserable. And even if you have the most opulent and the most secure, <laughs> there's nothing secure here. Anyway, um, everything is changing so fast. There's no certainty, and everything is just it's just flickering. It's just flickering. But even if you have the best position you can possibly have, you can still be miserable if you want, if 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 your mind just tells you to be miserable. And if you have the least, if you have the least you could possibly, anybody could possibly have, if you want to be satisfied, you'll be satisfied. 
It's a, it's a condition of the heart. The mind resides in the region of the heart. It's not like it's in the brain. The brain just has different things. Awesome. So now it's nine o'clock. Bhakti Prabhu. We um, Instant Prabhu. Huh? I don't know because I it just says seven. To, it says seven to eight. Oops, it's nine nine o'clock in Gainesville. I I keep my computer at Gainesville time because that so I can understand what the heck is going on here. We have uh, one more question from uh, sure. from uh, Sarvabhoma Prabhu. Okay. He says. Uh, Maharaj, on the weekend you spoke to many devotee youth. Uh, what are their realizations at this challenging time? The youth? And, your, and yours as well. Oh. Uh, I just, last weekend I just spent, I don't know, hours and hours and hours with TSI youth, over a hundred of them on Zoom. And um, it's A to Z. I mean, you're talking about, you know, the COVID, the George Floyd, the economy. You're talking about these kind of things and what's their, what's their take on it. And um, what did one girl, one one girl said, Mars, I'm stressed. That was her question. I'm stressed. And so I said, you know, just take a look at what's going on. You know, first COVID shows up. We don't even know what it is. Then a little bit later, we find out it's even more, what would you say, heavy than we thought it was going to be or more contagious than we thought. It's going to be here longer than we, we thought. And, and then you have, um, you know, reality check on races, systemic racism in America and the world practically, literally the world. And then you have devotees in our community, getting COVID, um, even our beloved Bhante Swami, what would you say, had COVID. And so to not be stressed is very difficult. Um, all we have, the only thing I can say, for the, what I said to the youth, is just see it, that these are, these are things that are, there and we should be grateful for them because they're showing us that the temporal nature of this world and when we want to enjoy there's always going to be an impediment that stops our enjoyment be it the covid be it the racial thing be it the economy be it whatever there's always going to be something there and um just, and, and as far as myself that's my same position um, at first, it was quite heavy, you know, um, when the COVID came out. I had plans for going to Asia and, and India, and all of a sudden, just dug over. And um, and so life as it was stopped. And so life as it is is, and so you just have to make what what you can. Um, yeah, I think that's. Basically, the answer to the question: They're 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 dealing with it the best way they can. And I had one of the you know I mean, each one is an individual, just like each one of us is an individual. And so, like when the COVID came out, 
and then and, and I have many doctors like Guru Bhakti and Jai Shri and Devika and so many. And my doctor, um, Dr. Aki, um, and they just told me to stay put. So I just follow the orders. Um, when it came to George Floyd, I had to do more research than I'd ever thought I would have to do because there are so many things that I found out because of that event that were quite startling to me. And so I did a lot of research to understand that it's not good enough to just be non-racist because most of us can't even really be that. But we have to be, we have to, we have to be against racism. Uh, and it has to start within within our own hearts. It has to start within our own hearts to become um, judging things on their merit, not by externals. And I did, I won't say a lot of research, but more than I would have normally done on a topic, and quite a bit more than I would have done on a topic. Um, and the passing of a close friend, you know, we, we are learning the process of grieving. I've many times said that the sadness that one feels, the, the grief, the loneliness, the emptiness, and even the confusion that one experiences at these times are all symptoms of the love that one has for that person. When you meet, when you, meet, when you get together with somebody that you're close to, and you embrace and you sit down and honor prasadam or you sit down and have a conversation, the joy comes out. But when one passes, we and that and that joy that one has in that association is a sign of the love that one has for that person. But when the person passes, the symptoms of the love change. You still have that desire to have that conversation, to have that relationship. But now you have the grief, the sadness, the sorrow, the emptiness, the vacancy, and the confusion. I mean, I've talked to some of Bhaktivedanta's disciples that were just so confused. I mean, because it has a heavy impact to lose someone so close. And so I try to see them with gratitude that Krishna is allowing me to have a little speck of understanding. I can't be happy. I just can't do it. I mean, I'm happy, you know, in the sense that I'm engaged in devotional service, but I can't extend it to the material, material side. I do, unfortunately, I still do, but hopefully I'll learn my lesson by these, by these, by these fantastic, by Krishna, the greatest teacher in the world, creating the material energy in such a way that no matter what you do, it always slaps you. It always finds a way to pull the rug underneath your feet when you least, you know, when you expect it or when you least expect it. It can happen either way. And Krishna is pretty awesome when you really get down here. Actually, somebody asked me a question, or I, I seen their question. They said, if something's actually awesome, awesome nowadays, what do you say? You can't, what word do you use? You can't, you know, oh, you know. This chair is awesome, you know. <laughs> so awesome is really next, something next level, higher level, whatever you want to call it. So those are my thoughts on that.
I heard a funny joke about a woman brought up teenagers. I heard a, somebody sent me a funny joke that teenagers are God's way of punishing us. <laughs> punishing us. He said, just like God created us in, in, in his image, look what we did. And we want to create something in our image. And then look what we got because of teenagers. <laughs> People used to ask me, how, do you, how did you handle so many teenagers? <laughs> and I said, I remember being one. Don't forget if you're a parent or if you're an adult of some type. Actually, I did an interview with Gopi Gita on kids for GBC as a strategic planning um, team. It was like an hour, hour and a half long program, just asking me questions. Then the next week was Beer Krishna Maharaj. <laughs> I was watching it. And Beer Krishna Maharaj says, well, one thing we know for sure is that 87% of adults were once children. 87%. I said, I'm more, I said, Mars, 87% of adults were once children. What are you talking about? That's like one of the funniest things I heard, you know? Because I guess the 13% don't realize that they were, they one time they were a kid. And to make a kid do something that a kid's not supposed to do. I've said this before a million times too. One when I was I had a little Sankraton book distribution base in Orlando one time and I used used to get the Sunday paper to see where events were or something like that. And they had a religion thing. They had one section and it said um, on kids, if you're going to a place where you're where you're where their kids are expected to act like adults, don't bring them. Get a babysitter and let them stay home. And if you're going there's going to be this. Don't expect them to act like adults. If you if you are, just don't don't go that way. Because kids, they're in a little kid body. It's just like me. I'm like a 68 year old person now. I can't act. I mean, sometimes I act really childish. But I mean, it's not that I can go riding a tricycle or you know, whatever. You know, it's not. I can't do that. My kids. I don't even remember what the question was right now. <laughs> it's gone. Oh, Sarva Bowman's question. Yeah. You joke about the teenagers. Yeah. God created man in the image of God. And he said, we wanted to create our own, our own little things in our image. Look at God's punishment as they become teenagers. His Holiness Romapad Mars, I hope it's okay for me to mention his name. He said, I'll do anything it takes to get out of the material world so I don't have to be a teenager again because it was so it was so it was so heavy being a teenager. Said, Whatever it is, it's like when I say I'll do anything not to have to take birth in North Dakota. It's just too cold there. I don't want, I don't want to be in North Dakota.